did you notice uh, like a notable improvement in your cardio for for jujitsu? You know, I don't know if I noticed like a notable improvement in the cardio specifically, but like I've been able to learn to dial the intensity that I'm able to engage in things at such a greater level, thanks to last year's uh, running cycle of training. And that has been uh, the most, uh, like the best improvement, the best gift that I've gotten from that training cycle is like learning how to relax, learning how to uh, only give the what's in front of me, like the right level of intensity and not any anymore. That's been the biggest improvement for for everything. Just like it's such a life skill, <laughs> right? Not overreacting to things, right? And then uh, you always end up regretting it, right? You just want to play it cool. Uh, same thing applies in jujitsu, and you, I, I I had to really learn that from from running because I forced myself to run slow. Welcome to State of Health Podcast. This is your host J Mart. On this podcast, I will share my knowledge and experience as a personal trainer and health coach and talk about my interests and experiments in physical training, nutrition, and other lifestyle factors involved in health. Just before we get started, this is a reminder to subscribe to my Substack found at jmartfit.substack.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button for the YouTube algorithm, hit subscribe if you want more content, and hit the notification bell too. If you're listening through a podcast app, please share the episode with a friend or a loved one. All right, let's start the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Another joint broadcast between me and J Mart. John, thanks for joining me, buddy. Uh, I'm happy to be here and appreciate you always taking me up on the offer to do these. Thank you. Of course. No, it's been a been a good back and forth journey with the, the the chats that we've had on the podcast over the the past couple of years and just thinking about how fast time has flown by is just chatting quickly before this is mm-hmm. crazy but you know it's always good to reconnect and, and now that we're on mm-hmm. this kind of new year's goal train of kind of maybe you know well this will just be a perpetual thing year after year and who knows um, mm-hmm. but it's nice to just kind of reconnect and I think nice for people listening to sort of be able to to follow along this uh, this journey and gain insights as well. Totally. I mean, everyone does New Year's resolutions, big or small. Um, you know, some years we take it off, some years we get inspired to do it again. Maybe someone's going to listen to this conversation and think it's not too late to start something this year. That's right. And at least this year, we're getting it done in January. I think last year we did this, it was like March or April by the time April. we connected and kind of had it had it set. But anyways, uh, just to quickly recap then, what mm-hmm. were the goals? And, and the, the format of this podcast will be like, we'll kind of go back and forth, kind of asking each other the same questions and talking about our own separate experiences. But what were the goals you had set for last year and uh, what were the result or what was the result of, of your uh, resolutions for last year? Yeah. So I had a running based goal. Uh, I picked the Toronto waterfront marathon, which was on October 15th. I wanted to run that marathon half marathon. Uh, so only 21.1 kilometers. And I wanted to do it with a goal of doing it in under two hours without incurring any injury very specific about those parameters. And then I ended up uh, training for it for about seven months leading up to it, did the race and was luckily 
prepared enough to finish minute, uh, sorry, not minute, one hour, 54 minutes. So six minutes shy of, uh, or like below the threshold that I set my, for myself and no injury to report. So pretty happy with the result and yeah, happy to discuss all the details. If any, any questions that you have. Yeah. And congratulations on that. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal just to set a goal and hit it. Like I, you said, luckily you hit it, but I don't know how much luck played a role more so that, or as much as your just, you know, intelligent training and perseverance to push through it. And it wasn't without its own difficulties as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about kind of what, what worked and what went well for you, but where mm-hmm. can you did a, like a much more in-depth breakdown of this that we're not going to go into that much detail, but where can mm-hmm. people find that? On yeah, your, on totally. Any uh, podcatcher people use for finding podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcasts, whatever it is, just search state of health. It's the most recent episode uh, of state of health. Uh, you can also go to my Substack, jmartfit.substack.com. You'll find everything there. Perfect. So what were some of the big things that you felt helped prepare you for for actually hitting your goal? Like maybe that's a huge question that's not mm-hmm. nearly specific enough, but maybe <laughs> let's put it let's put, let me put it this way. What mm-hmm. actually helped you stick to your goal and see it through? Um well, I had a big why. I think we talked about this last time. I was highly motivated to do this, even though I don't have a particular like love of running. Uh, but I was doing it because I wanted to get better at jujitsu because I wanted to have really good endurance and, uh, for when I was on the mats playing that game. And I decided that cross training was going to be the best way to, to approach that. And it would be beneficial for many reasons, uh, partially also because it would be like, giving my body a different way of moving so that it would not perpetuate some of the repetitive movement from doing jujitsu. But uh, ultimately, because I was so committed to that, I think that's why I made sure that I had at least one day per week during my run, uh, during my training period to ensure that I was doing a real training run, not just like a half-assed one where I wasn't really you know, thinking about, you know, like you could be on a treadmill watching TV. I feel like that's not really training. <laughs> I was very intentional with everything that I was doing during my training period. And I, that's what I, what I, about what I, I averaged one run per week leading up to the race. Which is interesting to hear because that doesn't sound like a whole lot. If you think someone's training for a half marathon or a marathon, you might think they're running, I don't know, three, four or five times a week. Like seems like about what maybe someone should be doing, but it's probably not necessary unless you're maybe if you're competing at a you know highly competitive level sure but for most people who are just trying to hit under a certain time or just to complete it it's mm-hmm. probably not necessary to be training much more than once a week on the actual running aspect of it yeah we talked a little bit about this last time but i think because of my training history i'm someone with a decent level of cardiovascular fitness to start out with Mm-hmm. So really what the thing for me was is to be able to catch up my tissue integrity to be as good as my cardiovascular fitness was. And that improved also, but it, it, it was just the fact that there's a gap between them and it actually takes a lot longer for like your muscles or the tendons and ligaments and all those things to catch up to be as good as everything else, whether it be muscle strength or your cardiovascular fitness, how good your heart's pumping and everything. So uh because i guess i was just trying to f- focus on really not injuring myself 
And I had some constraints with my schedule. You know, I've got two kids and then I was also still more committed to actually doing jujitsu than, than running. I think I, I averaged two jujitsu sessions per week and one running session. So I was still doing other stuff in addition to, uh, to the running. Not, not actually, not a lot of weight training. There was weight training in the beginning, again, to really address the tendons and tissues and, and, and joints specifically. But, uh, once, uh, the running season began and I could get outside more, then that, that's kind of what I focused on. I think that's also, it's always hard to extrapolate one specific methods of doing things to other people because you have such a great training history. And so for someone else who's like untrained or has a very low training age, like they probably couldn't get away with only one phase of actually doing the strength training. It might take, it might take the entirety of the year for their joints and tissues just to get become robust enough to even complete the the run. Whereas you can get away with only doing some very targeted strength training for a very short period of time relatively. And then you're still training and moving and, you know, doing all the things all the time. It's just not as targeted where I think that probably wouldn't work out that well for the average person. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't discount the level of adaptation you get even from one week, uh, one run per week, uh, because ultimately, uh, I feel like that could even be in a in a really kind of Goldilocks frequency where even if your technique of how you're running, or maybe even sometimes you're off with the intensity where you're like pushing it too much, but because you're giving yourself so much time to recover, that that's the beauty of the human body and, and of being like a, an alive being is that you're training your body to be more resilient than next time you're doing something. So, uh, it's possible that even if your technique sucks and you're doing it kind of things, things are a little off, but because you're giving yourself enough time to recover, you're coming back stronger and you're able to handle that extra, extra like force or whatever you're, you're causing on yourself, that extra fatigue. Yeah. I think maybe the way to sum that up for anyone, and this would apply to everyone is like, more is not always better. More training is not better. Like better training is better. And so if you're going to spend your effort, spend it on training effectively and efficiently and and safely, safely being without incurring an injury, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than just like, oh, well, I've got to do more because because I should do more. Like you you might benefit from actually just doing less if it's better. Mm -hmm. Maybe what I I would even add to that, like better is good, but like really mindful because you could be doing a bad set of squats, whatever, something you're doing, something you're training, it could be that you're performing it bad. But if you're mindful and you can feel the impact it's having on you, you can choose to stop before you pass a threshold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the really key thing that that that's lacking in in most people I I I train with is that they have no ability to tell what the impact of what they're doing is is having on their body. But it just, I don't know if it takes time or practice or just uh, being able to tune things out, but you should be able to feel what's happening and respond, you know, precisely to to that. Um, And that that could be the thing, the key thing that saves you from, you know, just doing something that feels like, oh, sore the next day, which maybe maybe that's good because then, like I said, you're going to rebuild to be, regrow to, to be stronger or you past that threshold where it's now it's acute it's not chronic it's not a chronic thing it's acute and there's like actual tear or something like that 
Like a little inflammation is going to be fine, but if there's a physical tear, then that's completely different. It's definitely underappreciated how difficult that is to achieve. And I think it takes both time and a conscious effort to become conscious of what you're doing and probably Mm -hmm. even some level of coaching or guidance or mentorship or whatever you want to call it for someone to direct your thoughts and attention as to what's going Mm -hmm. on. And even on a very basic level, like most people, and this is no fault of their own, they've just not been educated or taught in this, but it's like Mm -hmm. they, they miss what they're doing or the point of what they're doing. So like the point of, you know, doing three sets of 10 squats is not to do 30 squats. The point is to like improve your leg strength. So if those three sets of 10 squats are with very poor form or with you know, negligible intensity or whatever, something else is wrong, it doesn't matter that you completed them. Like you're not checking a box. You're trying to create adaptation in your body. And if you're not doing the things to create adaptation or you're creating a poor adaptation, then you're actually getting further away from your goal. And that sounds really simple, I think, to say, but to actually feel that and to be able to like understand it while it's happening and feel it while it's happening and to be able to adapt on the fly, like that I think takes a long time. Mm-hmm. But ultimately that's what people do. Um, like last, I was listening to our podcast from last time and we we're talking about how when, you know, you get injured, you can use pain as a guide for what to do. You kind of move around the pain and things like that. And you had a little bit of caution as you're telling people to do that. But I think like ultimately someone had to do that to figure it out, to teach somebody else. Nobody yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, somebody had to fool around and see what it, what does it feel like if I move my body this way while I have this pain and keep moving and finding out what it feels like and then be able to communicate that to somebody else and then through dialogue figure out what's true, what's not. So I, I, I think I want to empower people to do, to move as much as possible, move around pain, move through pain, use it as a teacher and use any sensation that you get from movement as a way to learn more about yourself and more about your body and what impacts you're able to take on and learn from. I like that. I think maybe my message now more is to be patient with it. Like it, it is, it's doable. It's not easy. It's doable and it may take longer. You may need to try seven different iterations of your squat change your angle, mm-hmm. change your foot angle, change your width, whatever it is, mm-hmm. change a bunch of different little things and then see what's working. And if you're patient enough, like you will, you will mm-hmm. figure it out eventually. Yeah. And I think last time you were just very much, uh, uh, proposing that people find an expert to help guide them through that, which is absolutely true as well. But just ultimately knowing that you're the only person who can feel what's happening inside you and you're the best for like making that assessment, uh, just keep that in mind. And it's always great to find somebody who can help you along the path. But uh, yeah, ultimately you have to be the one there feeling what's happening. Absolutely. You can only, you can only control yourself and, and that's that. So mm-hmm. thinking back to some of the, you know, your, your journey from last year, what will you do differently this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So a couple things. So it's going to be a quite a big jump from half marathon to a full marathon. It's what I was doing during the half marathon in terms of hydration is going to have to definitely change. So one thing that I mentioned in the full write up is I hate the feeling of water sloshing around inside of me when I'm running, <laughs> when I'm running and I always get it if I like drink mid run, I don't know what to do about it. So I decided I would just not drink any water while I ran. (laughs) And for two hours, I feel like that's manageable. (laughs) And the way I would like kind of try to control it so that uh, I didn't feel uh, 
really thirsty and it didn't bother me and hinder me in any way was I would uh, take like a tablespoon of honey, drop a big pinch of salt on it, just eat that and then down a big glass of water afterwards. <laughs> and then that seemed to work. Honestly, for two hours, you can run not feeling thirsty and just feel pretty energetic. Uh, that's what I did during my training. And I uh, repeated that experience for the actual run as well, just so that like the conditions were the same for how I trained and how I raced. Um, that's not going to be possible, I think, for the full marathon. If I'm going to double the distance to f and hoping to hit a four hour mark uh, this time for that uh, double the distance, it's like, no, I don't, I, I'm going to have to do something. And a friend of mine suggested that there's these like um, powders that you can get that uh, you mix with water that uh, give you a mix of salts and sugars. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm going to have to just get used to <laughs> the feeling of it sloshing around or maybe figure out if there's like small amounts that I can drink various throughout the various points in the, in the run to, you know, there's going to have to be some experimenting to figure out what I'm comfortable with. Yeah, I think you can like, so I've used some of these uh, electrolyte packs and, and whatnot, and I think they're, they're fine. They're great. And, you know, I've heard of some people kind of like, uh, like dry shooting them. You just like with a mouthful of water in the full packet. I mean, the taste would be very <laughs> potent, but like you're not trying to have a delicious drink while you're running marathon. You're just trying to get it in you. Mm -hmm. So like that seems like it's possible because it's a mouthful of water versus like a, a big glass of water. But I'm uh, I have not tested it, so I don't I don't I don't know, and I probably will will not be testing it. But I mean, yeah, th those things are definitely options. Do they have those gel packs? I know that they had those for like energy, but I, I can't imagine like, why wouldn't they just put, you know, salt and electrolytes in it? You so, know, is that a thing that exists for marathons? I'm going to have to do some exploration into this <laughs> world because like I, I had a very simple solution this first time around, just don't mess with it. And I, I'll still have the same solution that I apply, and like, so that for the first, at least hour or so of the run, I'll, I should be probably fine. And then after that, uh, play around with, uh, what I can do to make sure I kind of maintain that hydration level for the rest of the run um but i'm sure stuff exists i have a friend who actually ran that same run with me uh, but she ran the full marathon and she it was amazing because she ran twice the distance that i did at a faster pace and she qualified for the boston marathon so wow. i have someone that i can uh, look up to for uh, some advice on based on that there you go when uh when are you planning to do the full marathon because you did the last one in October, so it would yeah. be the same time of year-ish? I think I'm going to go for the same race because it's a fun fun little okay. race along the lakeshore. Uh, I think it's in October, and it, it gives me the time to train all through uh, spring and summer and the early early fall because it's such a long race. And that's part of, like, the, the, going back to your, like, surprise that only one run per week, but I did that over seven months. Yeah. You know, over seven months, you're going to be able to get to 21 kilometers. And I did it in a very like methodical way where every time I increased my distance, I would take at least one or two runs where I would go less than what that new kind of like total distance that I got up to. And then I, I called it like my, um, what did I call it? Um, now, now the word's escaping me, sorry. <laughs> consolidation run, the consolidation. So I would consolidate right. like the new distance by doing shorter runs before that, before attempting a new, a new like long distance. And then just doing that, you know, you, you can get to 21 kilometers in no time. Cause I think overall I had what something like 
So like over 20 weeks, like nearly 30 weeks. So it's like, yeah. I think it was 22 weeks. runs you mentioned that you had, which when, True, when you yes. say it like that, like when you say it over 20 weeks, it sounds like a lot, but when it's only 20 runs, it doesn't sound, doesn't sound like that much. It's 20 chances to like improve, right? 20 sets of squats, mm-hmm. not, not really, but like 20 sets mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting to, to map it out and just, you know, realize how much you can improve with methodical with a methodical approach but the reason that i asked about the the timing is one how much time do you have to prepare but two the conditions will be more or less the same it's not like you're going to do it in mm-hmm. you know the end of july when it's going to be really hot and hydration and sweat and these things would be more of a consideration than they would be mm-hmm. in october so that will be nice for your for your preparation as well understanding what the conditions roughly will be like yeah, and that's the great thing about this Toronto waterfront run is the time of year is a great time to run. Even like I was worried that it was going to be bad weather that day. And like it wasn't great, but because you're running, it was actually perfect. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to sign up for anything in July or August. That would be hell. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like sounds like a, like a nightmare. I mean, you can get some pretty random hot days in, in October as well, but it's probably mm-hmm. preferable for it to be a little cooler because then you're just your body's keeping you warm but you're not you're not dripping sweat even if it's like a little cold to be standing outside it's nice to be running so reminds yeah, exactly. me of like elementary school cross-country days <laughs> yeah <laughs> i almost kept weather. leggings on but i, I was, i'm so glad i took them off uh, for the race because i would have been way too hot in them yeah yeah what mm. did you do through your prep that you thought didn't work out so well if there was anything and that you would have removed or completely altered if there's anything at all hmm what do i think didn't work out that's a good question because yeah we always focus on the things that do work it's always good to point out things that also uh you know we can just put aside um not sure i'll think about that as we continue the conversation but generally speaking it was a pretty simple approach like we talked about it last time it was like that typical kind of get the general preparedness going then focus on volume and then intensity so like that aspect of it like worked out fine and I wouldn't change anything about that like I mean the general approach like we talked the general approach always works and then the specifics are different so I guess specifically one thing that I thought, like one thing in the plan was that I would try to build a running routine that involved multiple runs per week. And then just with my time constraints, I came to realize that I could only commit for sure one run per week. Um, and then, mm, the question really messed me up. <laughs> no, no worries. It, it, I mean, honestly, it doesn't, from, from your recap and from the results that you had, it doesn't sound like there was a ton that that went wrong. So looking for something that went wrong that where there wasn't like an obvious, hey, I made this mistake. I wasted mm-hmm. time doing this training or this type of thing. Like it doesn't sound like there were there was a lot of wasted time or inefficiency in your, in your whole prep. I mean, we can cut. I'm sure you can come up with little things, but <laughs> there's obviously nothing that was that big that you're like, yeah, I'm scrapping that idea completely. Yeah, I think overall I was pretty happy with the results. Like I said, but uh, it was just like it was the secondary goal. Ultimately, I would still say most of the year last year, I spent training jujitsu and I feel really confident with how I've progressed and how like I'm feeling really good 
with my progression towards getting the next belt, but also like with the skills I've acquired and how comfortable I feel. So like, I don't even feel like running was the, the thing that I yeah. focused on last year. You know, it was just like this little side project. <laughs> Makes sense. Did, did you notice uh, like a notable improvement in your cardio for, for jujitsu? You know, I don't know if I noticed like a notable improvement in the cardio specifically, but like I've been able to learn to dial the intensity that I'm able to engage in things at such a greater level, thanks to last year's uh, running cycle of training. And that has been uh, the most, uh, like the best improvement, the best gift that I've gotten from that training cycle is like learning how to relax learning how to uh, only give the what's in front of me like the right level of intensity and not any anymore. That's been the biggest improvement for, for everything. Just like it's such a life skill, <laughs> right? Not overreacting to things, right? And then uh, you always end up regretting it, right? You just want to play it cool. Uh, same thing applies in jujitsu and I, I, I had to really learn that from, from running because I forced myself to run slow. Uh, so, uh, part of my training was to make sure that I'm trying to stay in the zone two, uh, cardio, like low intensity state training where like your heart rate is, uh, 140 beats per minute or lower usually. And, um. The first little while, actually, I, I tried to go so slow while I was running and my heart rate was well above that. And it's kind of funny to like <laughs> see how like keep track of your heart rate and be like, is my heart rate really that hard for like doing this? Like this feels like nothing. Like why? <laughs> why is it like that? But it, it, it is. And then slowly you see the improvement. It's actually amazing to see to, to view that as well and, and kind of realize like. It, it, some of these improvements are so like silent and so like you, you're just like how is this <laughs> possible but it, but it, it happens and and you can I found that there are times that I would run the same five kilometers faster with a slower heart rate average slower mm. heart rate and I was like wow this is this is amazing to, to see and I, the whole time my goal was to run as comfortably as possible staying in zone two where I could like, if there was somebody with me, I could have a conversation. I never felt like I needed to like gasp for air or anything like that. And that only comes from like a very acutely paying attention to those things as well. Right. Which is with a calculated method of training, like you have to find some way to, to pay attention and to measure your progress other than just a faster time, because your goal wasn't only to have a faster time. It was also to do without injury. And so it would have been really easy to just like, run faster. Like you certainly mm-hmm. could have run faster on those training runs, but mm-hmm. at, at what cost to that? And that's where paying attention to like some other metrics make sense. And the, the, you know, the strength training analogy is like, yeah, sure. You could have listed, lifted 10 more pounds, but, but at what cost, what would your recovery have been like? What would your technique have been like? What would your, you know, X, Y, Z things have been like, and would that have been worth it or not? And like, oftentimes it's, it's not worth it because just lifting heavier or just running faster is not the actual goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately my, my ultimate goal was to get really good endurance that I could use for jujitsu. And I methodically made sure that all of my training was geared towards that. I 
like running, I don't care. Like I, <laughs> running just happens because there's all these other sports that involve running <laughs> yeah, yeah. or involve, involve your heart <laughs> more, yeah. more so. It's like, I need my heart for other things and running is a good way to train that thing. So I guess I'll do this stupid running thing so <laughs> yeah. that I can not gas out in 30 seconds in jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it's been really incredible just to see that, um, transition in myself to be able to apply myself, not just at a hundred percent at all times. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a, that's a legit skill and it would be even more valuable in, in jujitsu than probably like a lot of other sports. But I recall even back to when I was playing soccer, it's like soccer, there's not, it's not like hockey where you're on and off in 30, 45 seconds, right? You, you get your rest on the bench in soccer, like you're playing the whole time. And while you're not sprinting the whole time, you can't just sit on the field and, and like wait until you're ready to go again. Like you have to follow the play and be in position and like you have a job to do even when you're not on the ball. And so we had to get really good at how do you recover while still playing? Like, okay, I just made a 35 yard sprint down the field. I got to get back in position. I don't need to be sprinting at a hundred percent, but I can't, I can't walk there. So how do I keep moving and keep playing and keep doing the activity while simultaneously recovering? And that was I mean, I never thought about it that consciously because I was, you know, 15 years old, but like I, I was doing that and being taught how to do that and to do that nonetheless. And it, it's a hugely important skill and, and not necessarily an easy one. And again, especially in a combat sport when it's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to like be resting, but this person is trying to kill me. So how do we, <laughs> how do I marry these two things? It's not, not exactly easy. Yeah. Right. It's that fight or flight response. So you have to really fight your nature to relax. But when you do that, the the benefits are amazing. Because I, I used to get this like really bad um, claustrophobic feeling at times when the weight on me was placed like so and so, so effectively that you know it, it felt like uh, you know when your chest expands for for breathing, right? I felt like I didn't have room to expand my ch chest to breathe, mm -hmm. and I would get like these panic attacks and feel claustrophobic and. It, you know, tap like vigorously to get out of there, <laughs> even though there was no like submission applied, but like, uh, yeah, it's just been able to hone those emotions and put them in and realize that like, okay, if I relax in this position, then it doesn't feel as bad as if I'm like really struggling and just being able to have a conversation inside your head and tell yourself to calm down. <laughs> yeah. And just, and actually plan your next move rather than just reacting like in the very short time that I did jujitsu I remember that was also a problem for me like I wasn't very good obviously because I just started so you know I suck mm -hmm. and I just like react I would just like do stuff and then mm -hmm. I remember some of the guys who were like higher belts purple belts would like training with them they would like push me back down and they'd be like they would tell me they'd be like stop like what are you doing and I'd be like <laughs> oh like I don't know <laughs> like I'm just I'm just like flailing around they're like okay do something take a second, look at where we are and like do something now. Don't just flail around. Like I'm going to beat you anyways. So don't worry about that. <laughs> like kind of like, okay, that's a weird backhanded compliment way to help me, but cool. Like I'm going to beat you anyways. Like figure out something to do, like make a decision, at least make a decision. Don't just flail around. That's not, it's not a viable option here. That's not something we learned in class. We learned mm -hmm. this escape or this whatever, like do that rather than just react. And it's really hard. It's really, really hard to do. Yeah. It comes back to that attention, attention and intention. Like what are you intending to do and what are you placing your attention on? 
And, you know, there's so many variables. You could be paying attention to so many different things and you can only really pay attention to one at most two things. <laughs> and it's always worse when it's two, you know, it's like both things kind of suck <laughs> exactly. instead of one being good. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, should we switch gears and talk a little bit about your goal before we go on? Yeah, we can, further into we can mine? talk about my, uh, my failure of last year. <laughs> Well, I think uh, every failure is a step towards success. So let's reframe it that way. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. I, so what were what were the words that I used last year? I think I said I uh, think it was help. something to the effect of I'm trying to be accused of being on steroids or something like that. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, going to be my first so, question. Did anyone so last jacked. year accuse you of being on gear? Yeah, no, <laughs> no one, no one did because I uh, did not even get in better shape at all last year. Uh, I improved basically nothing mm-hmm. um which which really sucks to say did you check how lean you got by any chance with any i didn't but it measure. wasn't leaner at all mm-hmm. and really what, what about happened, strength numbers did you check strength numbers at the end of the year oh no uh it was way less it was okay. it was i went backwards if anything <laughs> but um so what happened was i even even when we were talking last year i was already so we had this conversation in April of last year, right? Mm-hmm. And my shoulder was still injured, and I mm-hmm. was like a few weeks away from like yep. healing that. And then, right, I don't remember the exact timing, but like very soon after my shoulder was like kind of good to go, I had hurt my back. And I hurt my back for the first time I had ever, I've never had a back injury before, and you know, knock on wood, never have a back injury again, but it was the first time I ever hurt my back and it scared the crap out of me. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is not good. And I was doing, um, an RDL, simple RDL wasn't any like crazy amount of weight or anything. And, um, because I hadn't been training too much for my shoulder, like my grip was a little weak. The bar kind of slipped in my hand, but it wasn't anything crazy. And I was like, oh, I kind of had a weird tweak feeling when the bar just slipped in my hand. And I was like, oh, that was weird. And then I kind of like, you know, did a little shimmy shake and you know what Mm -hmm. we were talking about, like, you know, feeling your body. And I was like, Mm -hmm. All right, that was a weird one, but like I think I'm I think I'm okay. Like I feel strong, I feel sturdy. Like so I finished the rest of the workout cautiously, but you know, kept the weight the same and finished the workout. And then I was at home that night and I was like moving some stuff in the backyard, like nothing, some sticks. It was like nothing. And I just bent over and I just like fell to the ground instantly. Like my back just oh, came. I was like, oh fuck, this is like that. And that's what scared me. It's not like it was an obvious, like, okay, if I drop, if I fall, you know, carrying a couple hundred pounds in the gym, like fine, I, I can understand that. But like mm-hmm. all I did was bend over and uh, <laughs> I crumbled to the ground. Um anyway, so so I I aggressively tried to rehab that. Turned out it wasn't actually like a disc thing, it was more of like the rib vertebrae junction which thankfully uh for that but anyways that took me out for another couple of months now by this time when we're when i'm like back to being able to just like start training with some relative intensity again mm-hmm. was september and by this time yeah. i'm like okay i'm not i'm not hitting my like look like i'm on steroids skull in four months here and uh mm-hmm. so i kind of just i honestly i kind of just like gave up on it i was like well uh, listen the first thing that i need to do is get healthy rehab this get back to where i was never mind getting beyond that it's going to take me a couple months of very cautious training just to get back to what i was you know at the beginning of the year um and so that and so that was really the goal now or that's what happened now could i have paid more attention to my diet 
while being injured to like continue with the leaning out process and keep walking and like lean out while not actually training? Absolutely, I could have. But to your earlier point, I don't think I had a strong why mm-hmm. for my goals last year because it's kind of like very superficial and mostly mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I just kind of like want to do this. But I didn't really mm-hmm. like, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have been that upset. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I didn't do it and I'm not upset. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a strong why. And so to continue doing it in the face of those injuries and those challenges was just like, I just don't give a fuck about this really at all. And so I'll just like not do it. Now I didn't gain weight through that. I generally watch my diet and I'm active mm-hmm. and whatever anyways. So like it was fine. I didn't, I didn't gain weight. It's not like I just completely gave up and sat on the couch and ate cookies while my back was getting better. Um, I still trained as much as I could and walked and did some mobility work and did a lot of rehab stuff. But this is a very long winded way of saying, yeah, I failed my goal. I didn't have a why. The reason why I failed my goal was mostly because I got injured, but then also because I kind of just gave up on the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. There's levels, right? Like, because you do maybe perhaps have the discipline, even if you don't have the strongest of whys, if you didn't have the obstacle of that injury, then you could have persevered and pushed through and come either, you know, reach your goal or come really close. But uh you know, there's, so there's, it's not always down to discipline. There's so many pl- factors at play. I think so as well. I mean, I think my excuses were legit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess everyone thinks their excuses are legit, but it's not like I oh, didn't have any hurdles and I'm saying like, oh, it was just like, it was hard. I couldn't stop eating dessert or I couldn't, you know, like that. It's not that. Like I could have been disciplined enough to like do the stuff. I've done it before with no... Mm-hmm why like the very mm-hmm. early days of covid like mm-hmm. when we were full lockdowns whatever i i did i trained twice a day every single day except for sundays i only trained once for nice. like four months in a row wow. and i never missed a day never missed a workout never went to bed late never, like I, I was literally 100 percent perfect and and there was no real why i was just like well Got nothing else to do. Might this as is well, what's available. Might as well do this. So like, <laughs> let's just go for it. Like, and I could have easily just been like, nah, fuck it. I just like, who cares? But I just did it. So like discipline is not, discipline mm-hmm. is not the issue. It was just like, I didn't actually care enough about my goal to continue to pursue it in face of those challenges. And then we also spoke about, you know, hurdles and stuff that would happen. So those injuries were pretty big hurdles that overtook my goal. My My goal switched in the year to like, let me just heal these injuries. I need to feel good again. I never, mm-hmm. ever, I had this little back thing, scared the crap out of me, and I never, ever, ever want to feel that again. And so my goal mm-hmm. switched to let's just get healthy and robust mm-hmm. again, and then mm-hmm. I'll worry about, you know, the whole jacked and shredded thing later. But that is very secondary to me. Totally. And maybe that's also because, you know, while I don't think that I'm, uh, you know, some Adonis uh, physique competitor, I think I my physique is pretty good. I'm pretty confident and happy with it. And I don't have this major drive to be like, oh, I've really got to lose weight. or I really got to put on muscle. Like I'm good. If my body stayed like this for the rest of my life, I'm good. Of course you want it to be a little bit better, but I'm never going to be upset about the way it is right now. So I didn't have that like big motivator to be like, oh, I really got to get my ass in gear here. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about then how you like it. So first of all, like it's amazing to reprioritize your goals. Like that's you got to be constantly be doing that, right? Like 
there's always like a list of three to five things that are important to you. And then, you know, there's the, the, the deck is always shuffling. There's always a new tire highest priority. Clearly having a pain-free life where your back is not twinging and bothering you at all times is way more important than having better physique and consciously making the decision to reprioritize is, you know, step number one. So glad you did that. And then, so let's talk about how you went about rehabbing your back. What did you do to help fix it? Um, the very first thing I did was, was contact my athletic therapist and I made an appointment as soon as I could, because I knew that I was going to try and, you know, get myself going, but I was like, I, th- this is not something that I'm going to try and do alone because this is foreign territory to me from injuries to my body. Like I've injured my knees and ankles and stuff like hundreds of times. Like if I get a little tweak there, I can more or less deal with it on my own if it's not something mm-hmm. major. So I messaged her right away, got, got in with her, but before like, you know, the day or two before I was able to see her. I knew that I needed to find out what is going to exacerbate this pain and what is going to alleviate the pain. So immediately I started trying different positions. If I bend over like this, if I side bend, if I, you know, spinal extension, if I rotate, if I walk, if I lie down, I tried all the positions. I tried a bunch of different exercises, McGill curl ups, dead bugs, bird dogs. Like I just tried to do a bunch of different stuff. And Mm -hmm. I had like a note on my phone of like, this hurt, this made it worse, this felt okay, this was felt good. Like I just kind of went through a list of what feels good, what doesn't feel good. I noticed that walking actually felt the best. Like when I was in motion, I felt way better than when I was seated. Like seated in a position like I'm seated right now uh, was was like the worst thing that I could have been. So laying down flat on my back or walking was good, but I can't like just lay down flat on my back the, the whole day. So I knew that movement was a key, which which was a which was a nice sign. Then when when I when I saw her, she's like, I I don't think this is really like a spinal thing. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like more of the rib thing. I was like, okay, that's that's good. But like the rehab mm-hmm. is kind of the same, right? A lot of the mm-hmm. muscles around it were super tight and spasming because of mm-hmm. the the injury. Um, and so we had to work on loosening that up so that was where like a lot of the manual therapy came in and her just kind of getting in there and then me doing you know mobility work on my own Mm -hmm. outside of that under her direction as well but you know again using my own judgment Mm -hmm. and my own knowledge of training and my own body like okay i need to twist this extend this shorten this lengthen this whatever Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard to describe this and and you'll appreciate this john because Mm -hmm. like the I can't tell you what exercises I did because they don't have names or descriptions. It was like yeah. I just moved my body in ways that felt like it made sense. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not like I could coach someone to do that if I was with you and I could be like, okay, put your leg here. No, no, bend it this way. Do that. I could do that. But in like a podcast format or even like an online coaching format, mm-hmm. like can't can't do it for those things so it's really hard for like injury stuff mm-hmm. that way but so i can't i can't, can't explain to you what i did i just like did stuff that made me yeah. feel good and made it feel loose and strong um and that so, and that was that for the for a like couple months so what i like about that is the combination of passive treatment and active treatment so the passive treatment from your friend doing manual work on your body and uh, you know, helping it for, with that matter. But the point I want to make is people think that that's all they have to do when they have pain no. to resolve the issue. And it's just like, that's only half of what, and that might, that's not even the important half. You might 
many people might get away with not needing that half. This, this, the second half is what's mm -hmm. needed is the active part from you, from you contributing to do something to improve it, to like what you said, figure out what is the thing that I need to do that makes sense for making this heal. And that sounds so weird to say, but like, you just have to feel how the movement is affecting your body. And by doing it enough times, you'll understand. <laughs> You will just you'll just know that this is the right thing because I know it's making me feel better, and then you'll you'll heal. It's just it's just how it works. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So then from there, and you know, all, all credit to to the athletic therapist that I work with. Her name's Carla. I've talked with her. She's actually been on the podcast a while back. She's phenomenal, Wonderful. and she's very much like active focus like yeah okay we'll get in there and dig in and you know do the manual stuff but then like okay get off the table and like let's figure out how you're moving and let's optimize this yeah and do and so homework when you go home exactly and so together with her we're like okay let's look at a few movement patterns what is my squat looking like what is my hinge looking like what are these things looking like and what are little tweaks that i can make that maybe i couldn't feel but she could see or like a third party person could see and maybe if i had been filming myself i could notice it kind of thing mm -hmm. um and then so work on like, okay, break this movement down into the smallest possible parts and then build it back up from the, from the ground up, build up your squat again. And not necessarily the weight, the weight wasn't the issue. It's like the way that I'm moving. So for mm -hmm. my squat, for like RDLs and hinges and deadlifts, um, and even like overhead movement in the way, like my shoulders interacting with my ribs and stuff like that. Um, so really just breaking down all those movements and kind of like redefining my movement patterns, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind mm -hmm. of like a, a big term that doesn't really mean anything, but like re <laughs> like rewiring the way that I, the way that I moved so that it was a little bit more efficient. And then once that felt good or felt like it was at a point where like, okay, this is how it should be. Mm -hmm. Then continuing to load that up heavier mm -hmm. and heavier and, and getting back into the more of the traditional strength training stuff while keeping, um, more of that mobility and like, you know, prehab work, if you will. Mm -hmm. Could you go over the timeline again one more time? Sorry. So it, it took, uh, it was like uh, all of that took about like four months. Wow. So it was like okay. the, the entirety of the summer. So, and by the end of the four months, you felt like, uh, you could, you felt confident in moving your back in a way where you didn't think like anything was going to surprise you. Correct. Yeah. To even like in October, I went to, yeah, so so around like middle of September is when I started to feel like okay, I feel like unrestricted now. Like I could just go in and do do anything, and it will be it will be fine. I don't need to spend like I don't need to do an entire workout of just like you know wiggling mm -hmm. my back around. Yeah, yeah, like in and then I was gonna say in October I went to Edmonton for a, a fitness conference, the Evolve uh, Fitness Conference, and uh, a friend cool. of mine uh, who I. But he was there as well, Jeff Dalzell, who's also been on the podcast. Um, we were on the same flight down together and whatever. And, and as we worked out together and we we're doing trap bar deadlifts and Jeff is said we were going light on this day and he's kind of a savage and loaded up like way too much weight on the trap bar. And I was like, oh, I haven't done this in like a year. But to, to the, summarize the point of what I'm saying is like, I felt confident to do that and I did it and it was fine. In, nice. in October and I had injured myself in like May, May, June, something like that. Mm -hmm. Middle of May, I think. So then what, what did the rest of the year from October till December look like for you? Pretty goalless, honestly. It was just like, okay, let's just train again to enjoy training. I didn't really work on a program, kind of just did what I 
mm-hmm. more or less felt like. And to that point, I didn't really make a ton of progress, but I also knew that I wasn't going to make a ton of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, you just decided to go on maintenance phase. Was there like uh, anything that you were doing that was like more for the fun part of uh, training rather than the discipline part of training? I started to add a little bit of cardio and in the form of sprints into my training, like a skier or the, like the, the rowing uh, thing or the assault mm-hmm. bike mm-hmm. started to add that in for a little bit of like, uh, I don't want to use the word, but kind of like CrossFit style. <laughs> like I would just <laughs> do a couple sets of something at like a, not that heavy, but like kind of heavy and then like go do a couple sprints in between and then come back to it. Um, you're so a closet I, crossfitter. Yeah, yeah. I think I am, honestly. It's it's horrible to admit, but I think I am. Honestly, and I've said this before, like every every kind of group class, like they're all just worse versions of CrossFit. <laughs> like if it's just like your booty hit class, it's just like a bad version of CrossFit. That's that's all that's all it is. But anyways. So I started started to add that into the mix. Um a little bit and I, and I just made sure to continue to focus on like my mobility and stability training mm-hmm. um through through the rest of the year and continued into into now just because that is something that I know that I need to do I feel so much better when I do it and I mm-hmm. always find excuses to to not do it like I'll do it but not do it enough and not do it with enough intensity and enough regularity. And so it's like, I just kind of convinced myself like, Oh yeah, like I did it, but like I did it two weeks ago. Like I got to be on that more. Yeah. I find So this is my hack for it is now because I'm just doing a lot of jujitsu and it's so hard on the body. It's like, you don't have a choice. (laughs) You (laughs) either run yourself to the ground and you feel like crap or you do mobility to recover yourself from doing (laughs) jujitsu. Yeah. And I mean, I'm so injury prone in the past that like I, every single workout has some element of like mobility or like prep training or something. And mm-hmm. so I kind of convince myself that that is enough, but it's like, it's obviously not enough. And so mm-hmm. I need at least one dedicated training day that is purely just that. If not, if not two days of training in a week, that is purely just that. And I, and I just need to, I need to continue to, to implement that in, in my, in my weekly training schedule. Yeah, there's there's multiple approaches too. I mean that that sounds pretty reasonable. And then for me personally, I do like little five minute things all throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I try to like I know I got a few minutes here. Like uh, it's kind of funny, but I I have a island in the kitchen now that I can use to like uh, slide into like front and middle splits. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully your wife doesn't watch this episode. <laughs> That's pretty sturdy, but like, I know like, uh, you know, I'm frying some food. It's going to be like, whatever, five minutes before I have to worry about it. So I can just do like a few sliding lunges. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. Like I, I, I try, I try to do that as, as much as possible. My mind is always being like, that's one of the weird thoughts. You know, some people have just weird thoughts that pop into their heads all the time. You can't control it. Just yeah. what happens. The weird thoughts that I get is like, you could be doing an exercise right now. This is what you should do. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Like I'll be putting on a sock. Like you could be doing this single ba- leg balance right now. Just do that instead. Like, like okay. It's a good way to think about it. And honestly, I, I talk about this uh, or, or advise a lot of clients to do things like this. Maybe not, you know, doing that, but things like just having a, a band, like a red band by your desk and just do, 
like whenever you're on a phone call or maybe not on a phone call, but whenever you have like a second, whenever you remember it during the day, just do like 20 band pull parts and just accumulate like 500 during the day, accumulate a lot, like just do them because it's going to help your posture. It's just, it's something to do just to move your body and call it a micro workout, call it a stretch, call it whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to be band pull parts. It could be anything. Just do squats, do pushups, do any exercise and just sprinkle it out throughout the day just to get a little bit more movement. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like it aligns with that overall goal you're talking about, like for you, like you need mobility to basically take care of your body so that, you know, you ultimately you're, you're talking about longevity, right? Like you want to be able to do all these fun things that you enjoy doing now as late into your life as possible. Okay. How are we going to do that? Doing that little bit of that all throughout the day kind of sounds like the right plan for making sure you just keep doing that for the rest of your life. <laughs> Same yeah. as like if you have a dedicated like one hour or two, one or two hours throughout the week, like that, that absolutely works as well. But, um, you know, just, you got to play around with what is available to you. Yeah, no, I, uh, I totally agree. So for me, this, this upcoming year, like, resetting that same goal. And now I do have a little bit more of a while, though I will take a different approach to it. So next year around this time or close to the time this episode will be coming out, uh, I'll be getting married. And so, you know, getting ready for that. And although like, again, I'm excited for that. And and like, that's a, a bit of a goal. Like if I got married in the body that I'm in right now, like I'd be good with that. I don't, I don't like need to like, you know, lose whatever to get married like I'm I'm good but I want to be in like my best shape ever for that and I can keep that date in mind it's set in stone and it's like I can I can work towards that now that's still like a 2024 goal although the wedding is in 2025 because like you've got to be prepared before beforehand mm-hmm. suit fitting and all that stuff so that yeah. will be the goal however my approach will be like first of all right now I have no injuries so knock on wood it's January 16th of recording this no injuries like I'm good but but my number one approach, my number one thing is do not get injured. Do not do anything that is pushing the limits in a, in a stupid way. Like I will push the limits and I will challenge myself, but nothing in the, nothing that's going to risk injury to, to some significant degree. To um, do a callback to our previous podcast, don't do things that are dumb. Don't do things that are dumb. That's exactly. So last year... I like, I didn't do things that were dumb on purpose, but I did do things that were dumb. Uh, this year I will hopefully not do things that are dumb on purpose. Um, and, and pre or proactively do things that are smart so that I, so that I, so I don't get injured, but just a bigger, a bigger focus on mobility and, uh, like my physical body health, um, as well as just all the same stuff of dialing and training, getting as lean as I can, then adding yeah. a little bit of muscle, but not too much. Prob- probably 9% not really is still what you're muscle. aiming. I'll still go for 9% just because I think it's still a nice round number, but like if I'm at 10%, <laughs> I'll consider it a, I'll consider it a, a, a win still. Understand. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll aim for that 9% and, and I've got, uh, you know, lots of time now. So there's, there's not, there's no reason as of today why I shouldn't be able mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, so. man. Well, huge congratulations on the wedding news. That's, that's great, man. Thank Very you. happy for you uh, as a person who's, been married nearly 10 years now i think you're on the right track yeah, I hope <laughs> with so. that yeah yeah fingers crossed yeah. um but uh yeah that's amazing to have a stronger why now right for this like you know obviously like you said you're fine with the body you have now but 
to really want to look for your best, look your best for this like really important day in your life. Like I can see myself wanting to, to pursue a goal like that. Like, so definitely that connection with that, that visceral connection is going to be huge for driving you to, you know, even on the days where you're not feeling your best, or maybe you're like, this could be an injury. <laughs> you can convince yourself that maybe it's not, and maybe you should just push a little harder that day. Exactly. And and even just having that date on it, whereas last year I didn't have like, I didn't have mm-hmm. a date. Like my timeline was the entire year, but there was no mm-hmm. date. There was no real finish line. So this year I have that date to actually like look forward to and plan towards, which will really help. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's, that will strengthen this on the injury side of things is like I already have knee issues and I've had those for a long time and I'm like I've accepted that that is part of my life and something that I need to deal with on a minor basis almost every single day and I'm I'm okay with that it sucks but I'm okay with it I'm not okay with having another thing to add into that mix like if I've got to deal with my knees and my back or my knees and my shoulder and this is like another thing that I got to like just work on every single day. I'm not okay with that. So working very strongly on not or on preventing that is, is, mm-hmm. is a, is an actually a stronger why than like the date of the, of the wedding mm-hmm. coming up. That's a nice tangible thing, but like wanting to do all the stuff for the rest of my life, already dealing with my knees. Good. Check that box. Been doing this. That this, this will be 10 years since my surgery this year and whatever. Fine. Not going to do it with the second thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, damn it. Just mind blanked again, but, <laughs> uh, freaking, I hate when that happens, eh? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's the time of day. It's late at night and that's, and it is what it is. But I mean, yeah, so, so that's, that's my, um, that's my wrap up. So as far as like going after some of the stuff that I was asking you about, like what would I do differently? I mean, like everything I'm going to do differently because, mm-hmm. My whole thing changed last year, so I can't really say like, oh, this worked or this, like nothing worked because I didn't do anything. Like I got injured. <laughs> Don't do that. That's what, that's what I'm not going to do. That's what I'm going to do differently this year uh, as much as I can, as much as I can control that. So, and if I do, then, then, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll roll with the, uh, with the punches. I'll do what I can to heal that injury as fast as I can. And, and maybe this year because of those other goals or because of the wedding date and goal, I'll be a little bit more diligent at continuing to lean out even in spite Mm -hmm. of that injury and not using that as like, uh, who cares? Like what's the point of getting lean if I'm injured? Like there will still be a point to getting lean. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I hope it doesn't come to that, but if if it does, I think I'll be able to kind of stick through it that way this year. Yeah. Having that day is nice. Like for me, it was also very nice having a date that I was working towards and I could use the calendar to work back from and schedule things out that way. So I think you're right. It it makes a big difference to have a specific thing to look towards. Yeah, definitely. Um, What else did you want to talk about in regards to your pursuit for this year for for the marathon. I know we're we're almost an hour and it's getting late and try and wrap this up for everyone, but uh, Yeah, yeah, there's a couple things I want to bring up before we mm-hmm. we we finish. Um first of all, just going back on some of the things we said the last podcast, I just want to clarify some of them. Um uh, let's see. We were talking about uh So just talking about running and I was talking about how like I've been, uh, you know, learning a lot from all these different mentors 
learning about how to run. And I was talking about how when I'm running, now I have this like cue that I'm following where I'm doing head over foot. So I'm kind of moving my spine. And as my foot's kind of striking on the ground, I'm moving my head over that side of the foot and then going back and forth. And I kind of used the wrong turn of phrase to describe that when I was running, it's like that I'm zigzagging rather than going straight towards like the, my object where I'm going. Like my, my legs are still on the same path to, uh, to the target where I'm running to on a straight line. Like, but the way I'm organizing my upper body is I'm organizing it through this, uh, this change in, in the structure so that, uh, there's one short side and one long side with the spine. And then there's also this counter rotation of the shoulder and, and the hips. And through that, like movement, I found, I have found that I like, it, it seems like the upper body is zigzagging, but it's, it's just reorganizing its structure. The legs are still going in a straight line. So I just wanted to clarify that in case people were like listening to that and thought I was crazy for like saying that you get somewhere faster by zigzagging to it rather than going in a straight line. <laughs> I think people who listen to David Weck think he's crazy. But, <laughs> and, and he is, but in, but in a good way. And, and the word that he uses to describe that is that coiling action. I think that that's, it's actually a good word to describe what you're trying to say with this upper body zigzagging because it's not it's not just a lateral motion it's not just a twist it's like a a coil it's a twist up it's a it's it goes mm-hmm. in both directions at the same time and and back and forth and that's what creates the the term the spinal engine and i'm not sure if he coined that phrase or someone else but that's no i, I want to talk about that actually yeah. The, yeah. the term spinal engine comes from this guy, Serge Krakowiecki, who's a, actually a professor at like Montreal University, I think. Huh. And um, if you go to his YouTube, uh, just search Serge Krakowiecki. He's got a channel. And if you go to his most popular videos, the top five most popular videos, if you watch those videos, you will upgrade your knowledge of the human body to such an extent. It's unbelievable. It's really, really good. Uh, so he talks about the spine and how the spine is the primal engine of locomotion and how the movement of the spine is what propels us, propulses us forward rather than, uh, simply like the spine being like the unit being carried by the legs and the legs being the engine of, of movement. And he's got very compelling evidence to, to display that, you know, so I think, uh, Having watched that and then making that connection with what David Weck's talking about with head over foot. And then the other thing that I was, I think I mentioned a little bit last time with the rope flow that I've been doing, which is basically like using, um, it's like a jumping rope that you don't use for jumping. You literally just use it to swing from side to side your body and it forces you to move your spine in the same way that in a similar way that how you would be doing it if you were to actually do the run with that coiling action. Yeah, actually, one thing, another thing that I just want to recommend if people are listening and they want to like understand this a little bit better, uh, just like go to YouTube and search uh, walking without legs or man walking without legs. And the video you get is this uh, amazing video of a man who's, who's a double leg amputee. So he's got no legs, but he's still got his hip bones and he's using the sits bones of his hip bones to walk on. And you can see the exact thing that we're talking about, where those hips are counter rotating, his, his hips on the ground and his shoulders are counter rotating to one another. And his spine is undulating where it's like side bending to one side, creating a short side on one side, long on, on the other, and then back and forth. And, you know, without legs, this man is walking. 
So kind of really uh, supporting the idea that the spine is the engine of movement. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, since you mentioned it last time, I've like been peripherally paying attention to these things. Like running has not been something that I've running specifically has not been something that I've cared about for a long time. So I haven't mm-hmm. like dug into it just for, for, for that reason, but my own self-interest <coughs> and exploration into just human movement and all that stuff is, you know, I pay attention and I'm interested in it. It's like, yeah, the, I haven't dove all the way into it. Not nearly as close as deep as you have, but I mean, the logic of everything checks out and it seems to make sense. And like, going back to playing with your body, the, the, you know, the runs that I did last year and I was like, Oh yeah, let me just, let me just try what I would think this head over foot thing is. And I was like, Oh, this is different. And so my first thought was like, this is different. This is weird. This is not what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. But if I force myself to do it long enough, I was like, okay, I get how this would, f- I could, I have enough experience with my body. Whereas like, this doesn't feel good right now but I can understand how this would feel good if I became more efficient at this movement, this movement, mm-hmm. this form of movement. It feels so bad because I'm doing it so forced right now and it's not good. But like mm-hmm. if this was something that I was going to pursue, I would mm-hmm. definitely go all the way down this rabbit hole and, and, and try and figure it out. So, I mean, to anyone who's like interested in running and just enjoys running, even if you just enjoy it, don't even have like necessarily a goal, just make it more efficient, feel good on your body and all that stuff. It's definitely worth, worth looking into. Yeah, totally. And uh, just one more uh, resource for people to look into for running, because these were really instrumental for helping me build my run to reach my goal of running the half marathon in two hours is uh, Dr. Matt Menard. He's got a YouTube, he's got an Instagram. It's at learn dot to the number dot run. If you search that he's, he's been really, he's what I would describe as like the mainstream of like running. Like he, he gives a lot more like basic concepts that I think like every runner should uh, incorporate into their runs. And then David Wick is more like once you got the basics, then you want to try some wacky stuff. (laughs) 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 Then you you might want to experiment. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, but, but with uh, a learn.to.run, his, his um, page is great for like really making you understand that, what you're trying to do as much as possible is glide forward during the run. We talked about this a little bit last time, how like you're trying to minimize how much you're actually hopping up. Mm-hmm. Right. right? I, I was trying to describe that maybe perhaps like originally when I read a, some book that described uh, running as a series of controlled falls, I thought that doesn't seem that true to me. To me, it seemed like more like single leg jumps. But then we were talking about how you actually want to minimize how much you're jumping up and you want to glide forward. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Matt Menard was really instrumental in helping me see that and then understand that like we get that through hip extension, but then also from hip extension, we, when we land on the foot, on the opposite foot, then we're kind of like slowing ourselves down actually. This is the thing that I'd never thought about running is a run is a series of accelerations and decelerations. You go fast, you slow down, you go fast, you slow down. It's just, uh, that's what you have to do when you're not on wheels, but you're on legs, <laughs> you know, <it's> just, <laughs> just how it works. Uh, so by, um, realizing that then I had my mind open to then using my heel when I was running to land on my heel. Prior to this, I was always landing on the forefoot and using my Achilles tendon as a way to bounce myself during the runs. But then I realized 
wait, if I'm slowing myself down, I'm like, if you land on your forefoot, you actually have a stronger deceleration than you do when you land on your, on your heel. Like it's hard to think about when you're running, but it's very obvious when you're, when you're just walking, when you're walking, you don't land on your forefoot, you land on your heel or otherwise like, like the way I described it in the, in my post, it's like, it's like a weird Elmer Fudd like walk, like where you're like, you feel like you're hunting, you have to slow your every step down. So no one hears. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you can glide much easier when you land on your, on your heel and you get that gliding action from pushing the ground back with your, with your, with your hip. So basic, uh, running techniques from Dr. Matt Menard and then advanced ones from, uh, David Weck. Yeah. The, the heel striking one threw me, threw me for a loop and only because that's always felt unbelievably uncomfortable for me. And I used to run like that when I was a kid and we mm-hmm. had a running coach in soccer and he was a track guy for the successful track athlete here in Canada. We're also, in, you're also in Canada, but, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, he taught us how to run and he was more like, it was more sprinting kind of stuff, but it was mm-hmm. like a lot of hip flexion, knee flexion, get your knee up, get your foot out, toes into the ground, pull the ground away from you or pull mm-hmm. the ground away from, yeah, pull the, pull the ground away, pull the ground backwards. Mm-hmm. And so it's still that horizontal plane mm-hmm. of motion, but like mm-hmm. when you strike your heel into the ground and this, I've also got this from a lot of the barefoot communities. Like when you strike your heel, if you ran barefoot, you wouldn't strike your heel into the ground cause it would hurt like hell. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it feels very unnatural and and maybe again it's just because i've always done this or since since i was a kid now but like if i run i'm still running not on the on my tippy toes but like if it's just a jog it's still midfoot striking i would mm-hmm. say yeah yeah so i think it just really depends there's no ideal that's like one of the big lessons regarding running that i learned from this training cycle is there's no one right way to run it's just uh what's appropriate for your body and also what's appropriate for the environment in which you're running. Yeah. Uh, those two important things, uh, they're all constantly interrelating to one another's and resulting in you perhaps needing to change the strategy of your run. So when I'm running, when I'm talking about heel striking, I'm talking about like a fairly, uh, flat, uh, ground or perhaps going uphill. Uh, in those two scenarios, the impact you're going to be feeling on your heel is going to be way less than if you're downhill. If you're going running downhill, then it's probably a bad idea to land on your heel. It's going to hurt a lot more. <laughs> so, yeah. so being kind of mindful to, to adjust that, I think is a, an important aspect of it. And then, yes, I agree. If you're barefoot, you don't a heel strike, but you're not barefoot. You're wearing shoes. And if they have padding, use it. And then, um, yeah, just, uh, again, pay attention to what it's doing to you. One thing I noticed when I was um, doing the race, there's a long portion of the race where you're uh, running uh, uh, downhill towards the lakeshore. So during that pro- portion, I didn't heel strike at all. I was on my, uh, on my forefoot, midfoot most of the time. And by the end where I was getting close to the lakeshore, I noticed like I'm feeling a little tightness on my Achilles tendon probably because I hadn't switched to heel striking at all. And I was really relying on this one way of doing it. Then we got to the lake shore, it flattened out. And then I kind of switched back to heel striking and the the pain went away. Later on, when I switched back, it was the pain wasn't there, wasn't bothering me. So it's just like, it's nice to have multiple things that, that are tools in your toolbox that you can apply at different times. 
Definitely, definitely. And just, just again, I think a central theme or lesson of this podcast has been like paying attention to your body. Find what ways work to you. Like explore all the options, know what all the options are, and then figure out which one of those works for you under which circumstances and then use that one. Yeah. Attention and intention. What is your intention? How do you focus your attention towards it? Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. Anything else you wanted to go over before we uh, wrap it up? Um, no, that's... Do you want to talk about... This is this is a weird one. I want to talk about David Weck stuff a little bit more. Do you want to? It, sure. Uh, go for it. I don't, I don't, I don't have much <laughs> to offer because I've only very peripherally paid attention, but go for it. Yeah, just because we talked about this a little bit last time, and I last time my answer was I don't know it well enough to talk intelligently about it, and so maybe just in case there's that one guy who's been following these two podcasts <laughs> and wants to know, like, is there a follow-up on this? So one thing that um, technique that I've learned from David Weck is this double-down technique with the arms, which kind of... I feel like it's, it's pretty integral because when you're running, you're thinking like... You're thinking you're just using your legs, right? But first of all, it's actually you're using your spine and, your, and which controls your legs, but also your spine's also attached to your shoulders and your arms. Like, what are you doing with your arms? That's a big question I feel like a lot of people don't have an answer to. Well, that, you know, that's not true, actually. People say, like, you know, you move your arms, like, forwards and backwards. But, um, and it makes sense that that actually works pretty well. But then there's some nuances that you can work with and play around with and see what works for you. So one thing is this double down pulse that I learned from David Weck. And so the idea of it is that if we define running as like it's different from walking because at one point in the run as compared to a walk, both feet are off the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So that means at all times when you're running, there's a component of going forward and there's a component of going up and down. Now, like we already said, you want to maximize your muscular effort towards like horizontal proportion. So you're pushing the ground back so that you propel yourself forward. But regardless, there's going to be some amount of up and down movement, right? So what you can do is um, uh, be more efficient with uh, with or not efficient, but like you can maximize the amount of ground force you're putting into the ground for the bounce up and down with using your hands. And by doing so, by increasing the amount of time you're spending airborne, then the horizontal propulsion you're creating with your legs is going to be amplified that much further. Did you understand that? So you're kind of, while pumping your arms back and forth, you're also pumping them up and down in conjunction exactly. with your step to push yourself into the ground to pop yourself into a longer flight phase. Exactly. Interesting. Wow, you 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 uh, translated that pretty well, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. So traditionally, we say the arms are moving one forwards and one backwards, right? So what Weck is talking about is during that transition where one is going forwards and one's going backwards, you do a pulse down. So both hands are pulsing down. That's why it's a double down pulse. And then they they switch back to then the other one going forward, the other one going backwards, and then and you'd want to time, time that pulse with your with the 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 moment that you're striking the ground. Yeah, interesting. 
Yeah, that way you're increasing the total amount of force that's pushing down into the ground, which gives you, like you said, a greater time in the air, which means that the propulsion, the horizontal propulsion that you create with your hip extension has more time to propel you forward. And that doesn't create an increased like vertical height on the flight? It does. And that's why you're able to spend more time in the air while you're horizontally like, because so, so is there your a loss of efficiency still... because we're moving more vertically rather than more horizontally, even though the flight is longer? Like, there's got to be a balance of that, right? Well, it because the the horizontal movement happens from hip extension. As long as you're still able to as efficiently extend your hip and propel yourself forward with the same force, now you just have more time with the same force before you land and and restart this. Uh, I see. It doesn't. It doesn't take away from the horizontal. It just adds. It, if vertical. if you do it correctly, right? <laughs> right, right. It just. It does. Yeah. So it doesn't limit that. It just adds a slight vertical component to it, mm-hmm. making the whole flight phase longer. Yeah, that makes sense. Checks out. Probably <laughs> yeah, really difficult to do though. It, and it's like for the longer races, it's a lot more uh, subtle, but for sprints, it's amazing. You can watch videos of. Uh, uh, like 100 meter sprints where like you can actually see them really hammering down as hard as they can but it's not quite as uh important to do that for like you know half marathon marathon distance right still, and I, and still has an bit. impact like over the long distance though i i really find like it, it like i feel it for sure over over you know however many thousand steps you you know flight step or running steps like it, it would if it improves efficiency by like one percent then that's a that's a lot over you know, 10,000, 20,000 steps or whatever, whatever it is for half marathon. Yeah. You can really get into this flow where once you're doing it, it feels effortless. Like you're, you're breathing very easily. You're, you're, you're gliding and it just, it feels amazing. It feels really effortless. You're, you're like using the natural bouncy qualities of your body. Yeah. And and I would, I would also imagine that some of the top, you know, marathon runners or hundred meter sprinters, like they do this without knowing that they do it and you might you know one might make the argument that oh sure they do it now because people like david Wack are talking about this and so they're they're consciously doing it but like i bet if you looked back you know 50 or 100 years i i I would be surprised Mm -hmm. to find that they were doing something like totally different than what these guys are talking about because the top performers in the thing they just find ways to organize their body and they don't necessarily know how to do that and know how to coach it and explain why they're doing what they're doing and why it's working but they do it and it works. And so therefore you just kind of like look at that and like, okay, mm-hmm. what are they doing? How do we replicate that? Yeah. Reverse engineer it. And totally yeah. that guy, uh, kept them. I believe his last name is that just broke the world record for the marathon. He, there's video of him on like Wex page of doing both head over foot and double down pulse. No, oh, there you go. Yeah. And I bet he's not, he's not coached by, by David Wack, is he? Not that I know of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not at all surprised. I mean, we see this in, movers of all sport where it's like oh they do this thing that's like different and like why does that work it's like okay well they don't even know why but it just works and then it takes a scientist of some sort to reverse engineer what they're doing and then coach it to all the rest of us and then we all figure out how to do it right yeah the only thing i would say is not necessarily a scientist but someone with a scientific mind (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) someone someone crazy like david weck who will like try to find what actually works and like not necessarily um 
fall for some of the credentialism that's going on these days you know do you have a source for that do you um yeah um do you, you like recently i had an interaction with somebody and they're like uh, why do you have um I think they were just like, do you have like a degree or something? And I was like, yeah, I actually have a master of science, but like that doesn't even matter because like, <laughs> let's just think about this from first principles. Yeah. I think this is also in today's age, why so much like ancient medicine or old school wisdom was discounted. And, and it's probably because they used words that are inaccurate. Like if they talk about an energy field or this thing in your body or this you know, like in punching and you separate the shoulder, it's like, you don't actually separate your shoulder. You don't, there's not actually this energy field. There's not actually these things, but like they just didn't have better words to describe it, but they were correct in what they were saying. They just didn't have quote unquote science words to describe it. And so Mm -hmm. people, you know, throw the baby out the bathwater. It's like, oh, this guy's talking about separating your shoulder to throw a punch. It's like, well, okay, this, this, like forget that part. Was everything else he said correct? Yes. Then mm-hmm. okay. Then just run with it and find a better term for it. That's what you know. That's what the future and and uh, you know continuing education and and iterations are for. You don't have to just say that the guy was wrong. He was right for his time. Yeah. Let's just move this forward instead of shutting things down. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed, man. Well, good stuff. I mean, I'm excited for uh, to to see your progress this year and and to see Thanks, you crush man. it. And uh, hopefully, I can follow you along. Uh, in, in my own, in my own way this year, and yeah, uh, man, you can crush that. it. Get to that nine percent. Uh, I hope you post a pick. Like we got to see a nine percent. Oh, I will. I will. You know that I will be. Uh, I will be milking that as much as I can. <laughs> my followers will finally start to go up. You know, I'll, I'll play the play the Instagram game. So yeah, we'll. I see. got a nice DSLR. Just invite me over. I'll, I'll shoot go. for free. There we go. There we go. Um, anything else you want to point people to, um, resources, I'll throw the stuff in the, in the show notes, but uh, where can people find you and whatnot? Yeah. One last thing I already mentioned, like my podcast, my Substack, but, uh, this year I'm going to commit to doing live stream classes once a week, Wednesdays at 11 AM. Um, if you just find my, um, Instagram, I'll have the links there, but it's on my brother's online platform for streaming fitness, uh, stuff. It's called Fitnex. Uh, so yeah, fitnext.com if people want to check that out. Awesome. Very cool, man. Very cool. All right. Um, well have a great year, everybody. Hopefully this helps you set your goals, uh, for this upcoming year, whatever they may be. Hopefully you've been able to take some insights from this and, and hopefully apply them to, to yourself. So make sure you uh, are following both John and I, as we go about our own goals this year and, uh, you know, cheer us on, ask us questions, do the things, follow, subscribe, share this podcast uh, with anyone you think would find it interesting. And uh, that's that. We appreciate you. See you next time. Peace. Thank you for watching or listening till the end of the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please send me a message at jmartfit at substack.com. You can also reach me through social media at jmartfit on Instagram and X. I'm also on Noster. All the links are in the description. Love you all. Have a good week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out.